0: Right. Hi, everybody. It's Lisa from the Recruitment Leaders Podcast. I'm Barclay Jones. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by none other than John Rose from Vera Consulting. He claims, he claims to be a hands-on executive support for recruitment businesses and their leaders. And he's got some, well, he's got a decent legacy. I'm talking things like, for example, 510 Group and Kellen and Hudson, etc. So some decent names in his CV. Hi, John. How are you doing? Good. Lisa, how are you this morning? Good, good. So, John, I want to talk to you about a few things this morning. This podcast is aimed at recruiters, recruitment leaders, IT leaders within recruitment and marketeers within recruitment. But really, I think, and, and you you span a lot of that with the experience that you've had. So, I'm going to talk about a few things this, today, like, for example, award strategies, because you're, you're on the judging panel for a couple of awards in the recruitment sector. We'll talk about recruitment leader growth and how they can grow their business. And we're doing a lot of work at the moment on Recruitment Business Stroke Recruitment Consultant KPIs. So give us a little bit of a background about yourself. Introduce yourself so people know who you are and um, what your background is.
1: Sure. fact, um, last Friday, I celebrated 31 years in the recruitment industry. I won't tell you what age I started. Um, I basically started as a recruiter, um, worked my way up through management uh, to director. Uh, I had a stint as MD and then 12 years as a CEO in three different businesses, all different all different circumstances, but they're all growth and turnaround situations. So I, I believe that I uh, have probably made all the mistakes there are to be made and seen all the, the growth and pain issues of being a recruitment leader. So two years ago, just under, I set up my own consultancy doing exactly what you described, actually helping recruitment leaders grow, um, helping them operate a business to build a strategy. Um, and helping them not the mistakes that I made. So that's what I do. I work with a portfolio of businesses because uh, leadership is lonely. I've been there. Um, and hopefully I'm a good mentor and guide for people I work with. Fantastic. That's me, Michelle?
0: That's absolutely brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. So um, when you're not listening to Desert Island Discs on your way to uh, Cardiff City and uh, talking about the marathons you used to run and all that lovely stuff, um what what is it? What 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 would you say for twenty eighteen that every recruitment leader you're talking to really needs to get their head around? Uh,
1: the thing that um, well, they need to get their head around how they're going to grow their businesses and how they're going to build a specialist, valuable recruitment organisation. But we we can return to that. The, the thing that frustrates me with a lot of recruitment leaders is is an inability. To say
0: no. okay. and Is that fear of missing out? Re- we, we coined it, the, you know, there's that term um, FOMO, fear of, fear of missing out. We, we've coined the term fear of recruiters missing out because the market is now saturated with all the gear and potentially not enough process. But talk a bit more about that.
1: Well, my, my angle is that I think too many, re- and I was there, uh, too many recruitment leaders are too worried about upsetting people too worried about making the wrong decision, and I think uh, my message to recruitment leaders would be make decisions, because too many don't because they're worried about getting it wrong, and sometimes they think it's easier not to make a decision than to make a wrong decision or to upset people, Um, and, and I've learned through lots of experience that people will respect decisions, but you're not going to move with the times if you stand still an old boss of mine had the saying which was if you think you're standing still you're actually going backwards i think there's definitely uh, and I think lot,
0: when wayne and i go into recruitment businesses right now there's that there's that uh, we could play an, um cliche bingo today maybe but a lot of work to stand still a lot of work to go backwards it's that it's that you know no one wants to be a swan in recruitment you've got to you've got to really keep going haven't you surely
1: I think what we do, I think too many recruitment leaders, are, I feel like, I don't mean this literally, slaves to their people. We're all too worried about losing or upsetting our people. And we make too many decisions based on that which are wrong for the business. Um, and to come back to your original question, what, what's my message to recruitment leaders of 2018 is be brave. I make the right decisions for the business.
0: Absolutely. What kind of – KPIs is something that Barclay Jones is doing a lot of work on at the moment. We're speaking to lovely people like yourself about what, what, we, what they think KPIs in, in, in 2018 need to be. What's the one KPI you would set for the average the average recruitment consultant in 2018? Talk to me about that.
1: Um, I, if I was an recruitment leader and the conversation I have with people is, is meetings. If you want to, it's like what I call an input KPI, an action KPI – it would be talk to your clients, okay, and talk to your candidates and get to know your candidates. Be as intimate as you can with your customers. Uh, and we all, you know, we all complain that we walk into a recruitment office. I did it yesterday with with one of my businesses. I walked in, uh, and I kind of um, heard silence apart from tap 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 yeah, tap tap. Um, and I think it's too easy now not to really get to know your, your clients and candidates, and, and in a world where really all we're selling is that knowledge and that exclusivity of candidate, Okay, and that ability to influence people, uh, if you don't know your customers, you won't be able to do that, so I would urge people get out, meet and talk to people. I must admit, I, relationship. I was with um,
0: uh, um, a client of mine last week and he said to me over the summer, if his, if his recruiters are sat at their desks and they're not at client meetings, he pretty much kicks them out of the office because as far as he's yeah. concerned, the more meetings they can have over the summer, the more deals they'll secure coming up to that. Point at this time where clients start going, "Oh no, Santa's coming!" That's going to give me an excuse to get a bit like non-decisive or indecisive. And candidates don't really look for jobs before Christmas, do they? Because they're all too busy paying off sofas and getting the dining rooms ready for, for turkeys. And of course, then what? What I, I don't know about you, but in the, I know you've got a lot more longevity in recruitment than I have. And I hope to God I'm having a conversation with you when I've been in it 31 years. But I think I feel what I've seen from from a from, from the outside, is that the, the, the people in control of recruitment have massively changed. I do think that we're letting the client and the candidate drive the process more than we ever did. I'm not saying they didn't drive it before, but um, we're letting them drive it more. We're using their lack of communication with us as an excuse to not communicate with them. We're using the proliferation of technology as an excuse not to pick the phone up. Any thoughts on that?
1: Um, yeah, well, plenty, um, and people would call me old-fashioned for being so, but let, let me give you an example to, to tell you what I mean. I was in an office last week, and I overheard a consultant trying to close a candidate on a job offer and failing. Okay, the candidate turned it down. Um, and I, as is my one, you know, asked asked the consultant about it, um, and one of the questions I asked the consultant was, how well do you know the candidate? And it turned out they'd never met the candidate. Now, how are you supposed to close the candidate, understand the candidate's ambitions and goals and what's important to that candidate. If all you've got is a bunch of notes and when you've spoken to them over the phone, the candidate doesn't trust you, the candidate doesn't have a relationship with you. So, so, and I don't know, know, I've never spoken to that candidate, and I don't know the job, and I don't know the client, so I'm obviously speaking quite high level here without knowing the specific, specific details of this. But if you don't know your customer, if you don't have a relationship with your customer, then you don't give yourself much of a chance. Um, and I so that's come back. We need to see people out of the office, building relationships. So I especially gonna... because Go on, I was gonna say, you know, especially when you know, the key to any recruitment company is the talent that it can put in front of clients and the exclusive talent. So it's all about building your candidate community. Like it's all about you know, waving a CV or you know, a virtual CV in front of a client's face and saying, you know, look at this CV, look how perfect this candidate is, look how well qualified they are. Okay. And by the way, if you don't look at them through me, you won't be able yeah. to see them because they're only with me. Uh-huh. And by the way, that's going to cost you a high fee for the
0: privilege. Absolutely, because what we have—the knowledge is power—thing, and obviously we we have the same knowledge as LinkedIn, or so we think. But we can maybe discuss that some other time. I do, I do get, I do feel for the outer equipment consultant though, because this is also what I see, I I, I hear. People like me, you, Kevin Green, Greg Savage, and I'm not necessarily putting myself on stage with you lovely people, but I obviously get you in the room and talk to you about it. And we're the old guard. I mean, I'm the wrong side of 40. So we're the old guard going, oh, you just need to have more meetings, just need to have more phone calls. And then we've got people 20 years or younger that haven't been trained to do this. They don't know what to talk about. And I'm not, again, I really, I really we do a lot of work to help recruiters understand what they can talk about to gain that trust. Because a lot of the time they might be in their early 20s talking to someone our age about moving their careers around, and they obviously sit there and think, well, what do I mean? What do I... I've, just been, I've just been sat at my desk and know nothing about my sector. And, of course, because actually it's obvious now, because I can look at his LinkedIn profile or her LinkedIn profile that they've only been in the job five minutes, bravado only goes one way, and I love the word brave from earlier. How can yeah. we get recruitment leaders in the businesses that you're working and that I'm working in um, getting their recruitment consultants that are potentially very young in comparison to their leaders Bridging that gap between um, getting a meeting and completing that meeting and feeling like they're on fire.
1: Well, a, a lot of it is preparation. A lot of it is knowledge and a lot of it is intelligence. People think recruitment is, an, is, is like an unintelligent job, in inverted um, you know, I One of the things I've, I always urge staff to do when I was at CEO was read, educate yourself. Right, so that you can have a proper business conversation with a client and share their their pain. Right, so you know, as an example, I used to, well, I used to run corporate inductions. I'd do a little quiz with people, right, and there were there were fairly, you know, averagely, you know, okay questions like, what's the name of the business secretary? What's the unemployment rate? Right, you know, what's, um, you know, what's uh, bank rate, all these kind of questions. And my last question was, what newspaper do you read? Okay, now when you collate all the answers, they'd get get all the answers wrong, right? But the newspaper they read was the Times or the Financial Times. Yeah, Yeah. really? Right? And I think if you're sending these people out to meet customers to talk about employment, for example, and they don't even know what the unemployment rate is, you're, you're headed for trouble. So I think send Um, out educated, experienced, knowledgeable, impressive people who can help solve the client's problem and ease their pain. Don't send out people who just say, you know, okay, give me the job spec, I'll send you some CVs. Because the client can do that themselves.
0: Oh, they absolutely can. And, and the, this is the big disruption in the market right now. And I'm, I'm not a big fan. Everyone talks about disruption like it's really cool. I, I don't think it's cool at all. I think it's, it, well, it's disruptive, <laughs> she says. But I, I think that, um, again, in my younger days, in 2000, when I started off as an IT director in recruitment, uh, and the business that I worked for back then had no kits, and my job was to come in and, and basically revolutionise it, it was okay, and it was expected to be sat there looking down, reading um, niche magazines about your sector. You had to do it because actually, right. nothing, you didn't have you didn't have access to the online world back then. Yep.
1: Like, yep. seventeen years. Ago, age, age, back. Lisa,
0: age. <laughs> I'm obviously only twenty one. I've just had the same year for last. How many? Years? <laughs> so talk to me about. So we've talked about KPIs. We've talked about what every recruitment leader needs to do. Talk to me about awards, because you are on the APSCO Awards judging panel and on the Recruitment International um, Award panel judging panel with myself. Talk to me about why you're bothering with awards in recruitment, because aren't they all just fixed? And I'm just being facetious now. Talk to me about why, why you take the time out to do that.
1: Can we just cover, did you say, aren't they all fixed? Yes, <laughs> Did you say that outrageous? <laughs> no, I can ha- having as you know having uh, been on the panel twice in the last month or so. No, they're absolutely um, not fixed. Um, I-, I love understanding. You see, I'm learning. I may have been in the industry 31 years, but you never stop learning. The day you think you lo- you've got nothing to learn, and then you can give up. Um, so I-, I get an awful lot from reading entry form after entry form of what companies are doing uh, and what they are. Thinking about and, and what their growth plans are, um, so that's a kind of selfish reason for doing it. Um, but I also like um, I like seeing what different people are doing. But ninety percent of the of the entries are, and I mean this in a in a kind way, boring. Okay, because the company is doing nothing specific, nothing different, nothing unique. Well, when well, we like got no clear.
0: Sorry, one week you and I were sat next to each other at the REC looking at the Recruitment International Awards and I I was writing down, I was avidly typing the things I could hear the other judges saying like why is it great that you think that writing that you're paying the national minimum wage is is an award-winning award. What what do you think recruiters need to do more effectively with their more submissions? Can you give us some specific tips? What, What as a judge would you be looking for?
1: The, the, the question I ask every recruiter is, what's your USP? And, and when, and then people start giving me, um, oh, you know, we're, we're brilliant and we've got a great database of candidates and we're very experienced and we've been in this market this long. You know, none of those are USPs, they're boasts. Okay, You know, a, a USP, it's not a USP. If, if either A, you, you kind of can't prove it, or B, anyone else can boast it, because any other recruitment company can say all those things as yeah, well. Yeah. So I, I've always made think that kind of 95 plus percent of recruitment companies, maybe as high as 99%, have no USP. They've got no clear differentiator of, of about why the client has to use them and is it a disadvantage if they don't use them. Um, so what I always look for is, is who is different and why. Okay, because the way they're building their brand, the way they may be retaining their staff, Mm. The way they they may be acquiring candidates, the way they're building their candidate communities, the way they're engaging with their local community, whether that's their candidate community or their uh, geographical local community. This is what I always look for. What what are you doing that is different? I what are you think. trying? And it comes back from the very first comment that when you know when you ask me what would you recommend to recruitment leaders, it's 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 change, right? You know. Make decisions. Doesn't matter if you get one or two of them wrong. You will do. That's life. Mm. Bill Clinton said it's okay to make a mistake. Don't make the same mistake twice, though.
0: Absolutely.
1: Let's not get into Bill Clinton.
0: (laughs) Um, Don't go into Trump either, for God's sake. Okay.
1: So so, so that's what I look for in these entries is, is someone who's got a story to tell, because the majority of the stories are kind of a bit the same.
0: But uh, this is the challenge that I see because obviously we, we my, my business uh, kind of like bridges the tech training marketing gap. And I, and I see um, too many businesses that are so inward-looking, John, that, that they don't realise that their story isn't different to anyone else's because they're not looking at anyone else's. They might be looking at the, the, the cut of the jib of the competitor sat next to them at a ceremony, or they might be looking at the typical job adverts that might be going at the competitor's posting, or they might be looking at the, the staff that they're poaching from them, but they're not looking at what that business might be doing. And so when they come to do the reward submissions, they've not done a competitor analysis. They've not looked at how clients might be uh, working with that business any differently. So I think that one of the things that I would like recruitment leaders to do more of in 2018 is have a good, long, hard look at themselves in the mirror and then do some decent comparisons. Tell, tell me why... why w- w- I'm a recruitment leader and I've won an award. So I, I'm, a, I'm a recruitment leader of a 50-person 50, 50 um, recruitment business and I've won an award. What should that mean to me? What should that mean to my business? Why should I bother?
1: Well, I think there's... Um there's, there's a big internal pride element that you're, you're doing something right. And there's obviously a PR element. But to be recognized by your industry and recognized by, you know, the judges who are you know, people like you and I who've had a lot of experience in the industry, I think is a hugely worthwhile thing. I, I would say to them all, though, it's, it's the old Alex Ferguson thing. You know, the, the second then won a trophy. He, he was back in his office planning the next one. He wasn't.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, he wasn't out partying. You know, well, I, and he, he yeah. might he might let us play his players party for one night, but the next day it's on to the next. So don't uh, you know, be proud, and you know, maximise the opportunity it gives you, but move on quick.
0: I was um, speaking to someone the other day who said we we've, we've entered a load of awards this year and we didn't even get shortlisted, so we're not going to bother anymore. Well, Make a comment on that. Exactly.
1: Right, they should ask why. They should ask why. Yeah. Why, why? haven't you been? I mean, it, listen. I you know, I've done two of these, and there are. In some categories an awful lot, so, you know, to ring me and say, why didn't I get, I'd have to really wrap my brain or go back into the entries, but, yeah. but that's, that's where you learn. Like yeah. you, you know, you don't learn by, you know, winning sometimes. You actually learn by losing and finding out what you're doing, you're doing wrong, and you don't. People need to listen more, I think, in our industry sometimes. You know, you, you don't learn by talking, and we're, we're very good at talking in recruitment. Uh, clearly, because the kind of characters we are. But you don't learn by talking. You only learn by listening, by hearing new things.
0: Absolutely. And um, I must admit, I've yet to, because obviously, because I'm on, um, I'm on the Madras, the Marketing and Digital Recruitment Awards judging panel, as well as Recruitment International, I, I, as a judge, I would be more than happy to give feedback back to potential or real clients about their award submissions, because there is so much to gain. The statistics are ridiculous. as, long as you, But it's as, like you say, it's as long as you market it. Um, and yeah. where I would disagree with, with Alan, Fer- uh, um, Alan Ferguson, Ferguson is um, it's around looking at, yes, going back in and plotting your next award win, but it's also make, taking enough time to market internally and externally and taking time to look at why you won that award and taking time to realise why you won that match, so you can replicate it and improve next time.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, too, too many that I read, you know, you, you start reading the the. Their, their blurb, uh, and you think that, that sounds a bit too kind of marketing-speak. So you look at their mm. website, and you see that it's a complete cut and paste on their website in terms of what yeah. they do or what the divisions are. Um, it's, it's just lazy, and too much of it is just good form-filling, but that doesn't make you a great company. You know, and that's why they award you one like Plug for Barclay Jones, you know, the ASCO <laughs> award, where you have to come in you know, and be interrogated for half an hour. And to make sure you're the real deal, and, and to follow up questions, that's you know that's really worthwhile. It's not just about filling a form. You've got to um, you know, you've got to sit there and justify yourselves really.
0: And 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 the thing is that thirty minutes, and I and anyone who's worked with me or knows me knows that I can fill thirty minutes just by taking over the conversation. But I have to say, it's not thirty minutes worth of grilling. It's thirty minutes worth of grilling in front of you, and then it's the lead up to that, and yeah. the expectations that you've set yourself and it's when you actually come out. And for my personal experience and the reason that we went for the Atsuka Awards this year, in init- initially, and you'll know this because you were on the panel, so you heard me say this, and you said, why did you enter? And I said, well, because I, I got sick of my clients uh, you know, doing what I've said, which is, oh, they're all fixed, aren't they, and not bothering. And then saying, well, hold on a minute. Once I started doing the, the, the work and looking at a load of reports that have been written by the big boys like Deloitte and KPMG, there's a lot of data out there to prove that if you win an award and market it effectively, you make more money. And that's kind of what all my clients want to do. So then I started digging around. I became a judge on a couple of panels. I started realising why recruiters were not winning awards and why they were not winning once they'd won the award, if that makes sense. So we wrote the the, the e-book on on awards. And then I thought, hold on a minute, I'm going to have to put my money where my mouth is. So this was all a big experiment for me to begin with. And then before I realised it, I was taking this, uber seriously, getting pretty stressed about it, which I think is a good thing, looking at my business, taking a really hard look at it, knowing full well that I'd have to come into Apsco and into into the big bank and meet all the bankers and justify my figures, justify my business plan, justify uh, keeping my business quite small so I can make everyone happy when everyone's telling me I should be growing it. You know, it's not a 30-minute quiz. It's, it's It's a few months' worth of grilling, I think. Um, and when, when I came out, I was, my adrenaline levels were off the charts. Um, and then, obviously, the award ceremony itself, where I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm proud of admitting that. I took the awards extremely seriously. Um, and I think everybody should. They, they
1: should. You know, what, just come back to your, your first question on the awards, why should people do it? One of the winners um, on the category that I judge, one of the questions they were asked was, well, why have you entered the award? And the answer they gave is quite a significant company, the operations in many countries. And the answer they gave was, we've been very internally focused. You know, you're talking about a, I think, two, two and a half million profit company. So, you know, sizable. And they said, we've been very internally focused. The world doesn't know who we are. Okay. And we want to show our staff that we're really proud of what we've achieved. And that's why we've entered, because we want to start, you know, making a bit more of a noise. Good for them. And and it was an excellent entry, and they they won. But, you know, what... Again, if, if you look at some of the things that recruitment business should start thinking about, you know, we know there's this, you know, to call it an old phrase, this huge war for talent for good recruiters. Um, and in my opinion, a lot of people should be diverting some of their marketing budget, and I'm talking to a marketeer here, um, to the employer brand, not just to to yeah. customers. Yeah. Um, but what better way to build your employer brand right, than winning an award?
0: We always talk about our tech model, so uh, from an ROI perspective, because yes, it is about money, but it's also about, you know, if if, if we applied our tech model to awards, we'd say, right, the T stands for time. If the business wins an award, how much time is that going to save the business at pitch, conversion? Getting into a meeting in the first place, you know, we're saying at the beginning of this, this podcast, John, some fantastic tips by the way. I've literally been putting you on mute and typing everything up as I've been speaking, but some tips around you know, more meetings, more conversations. And, and then the, the, the recruiters go, but what do I talk about? And I'm thinking, right, well, we've got an award winning submission and let's talk about why we won it. And let's talk, about, let's, let's take the paragraph that, for example, that that Anne Swain gave to me at the end when we received our award of why we'd won it, not just the fact that we had. I can use that in conversations now. And it's, it's, it's taking that. Then we look at the E, which for tech stands for emotion, so the emotional state. So, you know, there's a reason why certain football teams stay at the top of the Premier League because emotionally, apart from financially, they're not doing badly. Yeah. They feel really good about things. And, and I know that... Um, when my team won the AppsCo award, flip and eck, we could do no wrong, we were walking on water, fantastic. And then the other four Cs for us, because it's the tech and then, so it's the TE and then four Cs, we've obviously got cash, clearly. We've got content, we've got something to talk about, but also improve the content of our database. Clearly, we want to improve our community, and obviously, just crazy, stupid things like clicks. We want to improve the number of clicks we get onto our database, on our website, all of that lovely stuff, um, as well as conversation. Um, so... Yeah. For me, winning an award is just one small part, but it's absolutely massive from the employer brand perspective. Definitely agree. Talk to me, one final question. What do you think yes. the future of recruitment is? Because everyone's talking about artificial intelligence, blah, blah, blah. But what do you think the future of recruitment really is from John Rose's perspective?
1: Um, I think there will be... The, the, the size of the recruitment industry continues to to increase. And there's been all these threats over the years, whether it's RPO or, you know, the internet and the the job boards or LinkedIn and Facebook's coming and Google's coming. Um, But the fundamental job of what recruiters do actually hasn't changed. The only reason it's changed is because the easy stuff the clients can do themselves. Okay. Or they can kind of in-source. Okay, so where recruitment is, and it's, a, it's building a lot into a lot of what we've discussed earlier, it's about, it's about having that candidate. It's about having the really hard-to-find talent. It's about making your client's life easier, okay, because they, you know, they can't or don't want to do it all themselves. So I don't think fundamentally what recruitment is has changed, and the fact that the Trinidad industry grows every year, that the economy grows, it is, is, is testament to that. But I think we've just got to be far more clever as, as consultants
0: yeah.
1: as to looking for what our clients want. And we have to learn to say no. Too many recruiters just don't walk away from business. You know, I, was, I, was, I actually actually ran a, a negotiation training course last week for one of the businesses I worked with because I was getting more and more frustrated that the fee level coming down. Because what happens is the client rings up and says, hello, what's your fees? And they go 25% and the client goes, is that negotiable? And the consultant blinks and goes, yes, it is. Because they think, "Oh no, I'll lose this business. Okay, the answer is no, it's not negotiable. Absolutely. And here's why it's not negotiable.
0: Absolutely.
1: Take it or leave it, that's it. Um, So I think if we've got the right product to sell, if we've got the right specialism, if you've got the right understanding, if we can empathise with our clients and understand our clients' pain, recruitment will change, but won't change because the, the basis of what we do will remain. But we have to work with what's going on around us. You know, be that you know disruption, technology, AI, um, whatever will come next. I, I remember having conversations back in two thousand and two, one, something like that, with the founder of. Um, the founder of Monster.com, I was with TMP at the time, which later became Hudson, and TMP owned Monster. Um, and we were at some global conference and we were playing pool late one night. And he was basically convincing me, it's 2001 too, uh, recruitment databases were dead. The reason they were dead was they were just duplicating the Monster, as it was at the time.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was, it was the job site at the time. Okay, And we had quite a long and heated debate about why he was wrong. Um, and I prove to be right. He's proved to be far more successful than I am, but far But fundamentally, these things will not change what we do because we provide a great and valuable service. But we have to back that up with skill,
0: yeah.
1: and that's what needs to continually change. And this is the education, and this is the credibility mm. of people who go out and advise. Clients and candidates.
0: Absolutely, all absolutely fascinating stuff, John. Thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me today, and I'll catch up with you very soon.
1: My pleasure. Speak to you soon.
0: Never let, it, never let it be said that a recruitment leader is not a mine of useful or useless information. And I managed to also catch up with John with some greyhound racing and gambling tips. Listen to what he's got to say.
1: Do you know Because I many years ago ran a marathon. Right. And this is this is before um. This before downloadable music, so I used to listen to, the, to a little radio yeah. right, as I was running. Um, and the best thing I ever learned, because it was usually Radio 5 Live, I think it was Radio 2 in those days probably, and the best thing I learned from running, right, this is, this is 18 years ago, right, is yeah. there was Ian Jury and the Blockheads. Yes. Yeah. Right, so Ian Jury was being interviewed, and he told me that, that his, as a child, although as a teenager, him and his mates used to go... For the greyhounds and win a lot of money. Yeah. Betting, right? And the reason they win a lot of money is because if you go early enough, right, to so go really early, right, before they've really opened the gates, and have a look at which dogs are going into the middle of the field yeah. and basically doing their business, right? Because yeah. the dogs who do their business before the race are lighter and yeah. more likely to win. Yeah. Right? And so that's what they did. They went early. They, they saw which dogs dropped their load, so to speak. Um, and won a lot of money. And that's what I learned from running the marathon.